You're listening to Halford and Bruff. Just short. Congratulations to Vlad. He and his dad, both home run derby champions. I think what I've learned more than anything is patience is critical. Like, don't be reactive. Don't jump at things just to seemingly solve a problem. We're gonna see, you know, how this lands, and if it takes months, it takes months. Good morning, it's the morning show. Dan Riccio and Randy Janda with you in for Halford and Bruff in the morning. And it's brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. Visit your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. I believe uh, that uh, second clip there was from Joe Cronin, GM of the uh, Portland Trailblazers. Also, like, even though he was talking about Dame Lillard, sounded like life advice, you know. Good I thought life it, advice. I thought that was me this morning and just dealing with the morning <laughs> show and getting up early. Take it day by day. We're not going to rush it. <laughs> We're, We're not going to demand perfection. We're, patience is a virtue. Yep. Be patient with us yes. as we navigate the 6 a.m. hour. Uh, be patient as uh, we try to figure out what exactly we are going to talk about today. Because, yes, uh, we watched a little bit of the Home Run Derby. And there wasn't much else going on. Oh, no. It was good, though. It dries I, up quick, hey? Okay. Uh, this I know week? I criticized the Home Run Derby yesterday. Yeah. I actually enjoyed it yesterday. Uh, Did I, you? I actually liked it, yeah. I told you. The time and the head-to-head and... Sure. But, you know, the characters. Who's yes. involved makes a huge difference. Uh, I guess so. It's uh, Dan Richo, Randy Janda, and we have uh, producer Elon Chark with us in studio today as well. Let's get to what happened. And what happened is brought to you by the BC Construction Safety Alliance. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. No. What happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? You missed that? You missed that? What happened? I'm still trying to remember if there's intros and cues for all this stuff, so bear with us here on uh, Tuesday morning. Well, now you know. Uh, what happened is brought to you by the BC Construction Safety Alliance, making safety simpler by giving construction companies the best in tools, resources, and safety training. Visit bccsa.ca. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. with 70 ish home runs last night in total. Wins the home run derby. He does uh, something Vlad Sr. did back in 2007. He upsets the home crowd in Seattle by dispatching Julio Rodriguez in the semifinal and then beat Randy Arozarena in the final of the home run derby. Vlad Jr. with 13 homers on the season and numbers that... Um. Gave him no reason to actually be in the home run derby, but because of who he is and his reputation, ended up in the home run derby. And good for him. Like, you come out of this 
with confidence, right? It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to have a second half that is is great and maybe he had another 13 and that's it. But the fact of the matter is at least, at I, least I love, you got the vibes. I love the logic of it all. It's just like usually, you know, the, the old story was like – The slump. Yeah. Guys go into the second half slump after the home run derby because, oh, it's too much like, you know, batting practice. It's too much uh, just – focusing on hitting dingers and it, it screws up their mechanics. And now it's like, this might help Vladdy find his power stroke for the second half of the season. Well, what's he going to hit five? Like it can't get much worse than 13 for a power hitter like him. <laughs> so um, overall though, good for Vladdy. It doesn't mean much of anything, but the good vibes will help. That was entertainment though. Whether it was Randy or Rosarena, whether it was Julio Rodriguez, Vladdy, Adley Rushman and, and his, you know, yeah. That that kind of entertainment value as well of switch hitting, his pops was there, the hugs, all of that. I loved it. And I like I said yesterday, I was I was a bit of a naysayer saying, ah, it's kind of fizzled. It's not the same as it used to be. It was good yesterday. So what did you like about it then? Was it just the pace of it, the head-to-head combos, the stars? Is baseball doing a better job of selling some of these guys in the last couple of years? Okay, the pace. I'm not a huge fan of the pace. I still think it's a little long, but yeah. what I do like about it is nobody is ducking this event. Yeah. The NBA dunk contest, there was a time when the best of the best were in that competition mm-hmm. where nobody was shying away from it. Nobody was, okay, this is going to hurt my reputation. No, they, they took the challenge on. Yeah. That's what the home run derby is. Vlad Guerrero had all the reasons in the world to say 13 home runs. Yeah, no, man. <laughs> this season isn't going well for me. I'm I'm going to sit this one out. I'm going to embarrass myself. I'm going to sit this out. No, he's in there. Rosarena's in there. Pete Alonso's in there. Julio Rodriguez. Like, big names matter. Yeah. And that's what I liked about the head-to-head. On top of that, you've got Julio versus Vlad Jr. Like, that yeah. is a final matchup in the semis. Well, and again, I think it comes down to the stars of it, right? Like what makes a skills competition? It's, you know, the stars shining out. You can't really, um, like the NHL situation with the all-star skills and and the all-star game. There's been problems, especially last year where it was like, these guys really don't care. Yeah. And yesterday, last night, credit where it's due like all these guys seem to like want to win Yeah, sure there's uh, the bonuses and everything else but vladdy was always and he mentioned this after you know it's a family thing you know always wanted to do it since his dad did it so there's that that uh line of thinking for him as well and when you see that coming through your television set you enjoy it more i think that's a major part of this now it's not like otani was in it so it's not the ultimate stars, but I think baseball did as, or has done a good job of getting the right players, like having Julio Rodriguez, even though, you know, he's not having as eye popping a season as he was a year ago, but the home crowd wants to see their home guy wanted to cheer on their home guy. And how electric was it when he hit 41 bombs in the first round and set the all time record beating Flatty's record from a couple of years ago. Mookie Betts is in it. Um, and, and Mookie knows that he's not yep. going to hit many home runs, but he's in there because he wants to be involved, right? Exactly. The big names are there. We're not talking about B or C level guys. We're talking about A level guys. This is ultimately like one of the things that frustrates me so much about hockey. Like players are always complaining about escrow and different things like this. And it's just like, 
Well, it, would it kill you to care so much about like selling your games at those big events like the All-Star game? You may not love it. You may think it's gimmicky and, and stuff like this, but fans are into this kind of thing. So you get into it, be creative, have some fun with it, and get people to jump on board because you know, I'm watching that last night, the Home Run Derby, and I'm like, I'd watch this 10 times over before I watch another All-Star skills competition. Okay, but you know what I enjoyed about this one compared to the NHL? was that this was not, you know, NHL last couple of years, have, they've tried to make it made for TV, right? Yeah. They've had some things that work, some things not, but it's kind of gotten tacky. I like, think they've done some good things on the development side to try and make it fun and interesting. I just don't think the players have jumped on board with it no, as no. well as they could have. And a classic example of that was Mitch Marner versus Roberto Luongo. Yeah. Remember that whole sequence at the All-Star game or the, the skills competition? Yeah. Mitch Marner screws up the move. It, it wouldn't have hit anyways. If he would have actually got the move right, I yes. still think that would have been one of the more tackiest things. This was a home run derby where it was just natural. It, it's It hasn't changed all that much in the past, right? You can go the head-to-head compared to, to previous years, but it was just simple and effective. I think sometimes the NHL overthinks it, and that's why you're looking at, was there a cringe level to last night's home run derby? No. Not really, no. Is there a cringe level to the NHL's oh, production? Yes, uh, there is. Yes, yes. there definitely is. <laughs> uh, it was uh, definitely a little bit of cringe. Um, yeah, the, the Adley Rushman thing was pretty cool, too. I mean, look, I, uh, I can't hit bombs from either side of the plate, so... <laughs> sure. um, that that's Speak for yourself. I was a uh, U13 Mo Vonner, right? Oh, were you? No. I look like Movon as I was a rotund little boy. Yeah. Elon, were you a slugger in your prime or uh Yeah, I, I can uh, bat switch as well. Oh, you can. Yeah. Can you Could hit you... home runs on both sides though? We're talking little league field, oh yeah. <laughs> so, okay, then you you might be a better judge of this than than maybe I. Um how impressive was it to see Adley Rushman do that last night? It was impressive, but it's the MLB, right? Like yeah. you kind of expect these That's guys to what be I'm able thinking, to right? hit it's... switch. You're apparently the best switch hitter in the game. I think you should be able to hit bombs for, from either didn't side. Didn't he go six for six though? Yeah, right. Come on, like if he was like <laughs> two for six, then I'd be like, all right, whatever. But he went perfect. Yeah. Give the man his props. Okay. I give credit to the the pitcher. You know, the guy throwing the BP. That means he's putting it in a good spot. For I him. was gonna say, if you're Vlad, do you give any of that money to John Schneider? <laughs> I want a million bucks. No, of all the people, like you give it to your manager, your boss. Also, you're fifteen forty one. I think Schneider is happy to have a job right now, right? <laughs> <laughs> With the expectations that they had. Yeah. Uh, maybe Vladdy can give him a little bit of a kickback, um, especially since uh, Vladdy's getting giving your manager a tip. Is that is that yeah. allowed? <laughs> I don't know. Might be uh, against the uh, baseball labor negotiations. Um, the thing with Vladdy, like his his OPS is below 800. No business being in the event on merit this season from how he's played. And he is essentially what the Blue Jays need to unlock in order to find their stride in the second half of the season. I, look, the, the Jays are much like any team in especially the American League. But if they get hot around playoff time, you get hot for two, three weeks in the playoffs, guess what? You're probably going to the World Series, right? And and we've seen it happen before. We've seen it happen with the Kansas City Royals when they uh, went ahead and, and beat the Blue Jays 
in 2015. It's so much about the baseball playoffs can be a crapshoot. So there is more of an element of just get in. Now you have to be good, but all of the teams, like the any, I could see any of the AL East teams going on a run, maybe outside of Boston, going on a run to the World Series. Right, the Yankees get hot, they can make their way to a World Series. The Orioles, with the amount of talent that they have, especially if they add a pitcher or two in the bullpen and in the rotation, they're going to be very difficult to beat. Rays, we've seen how dominant they can be when they're hot so but we've also seen the the alternative where they lost seven straight yeah so you know the opposite way now exactly if you go the opposite way and the blue jays or the orioles or the yankees pick up some wins anything could happen in that division but the blue jays can't get hot to the ultimate level unless vlad finds his hitting stroke right like he, he can't be a sub-800 OPS by the end of the season. That would be a disaster for the Blue Jays. Well, the few games even before the All-Star break, they got no hit. Yeah. They barely... Yeah, they got no hit on Saturday by the Detroit freaking Tigers. And then the game after, even though they won, comeback fashion, it's not like they had a roaring success hitting in that game either. Like, they need Vladdy to be that guy for them. Yeah. And sure... The 13 home runs, you can say, hey, it hasn't been that bad. It's been you know, slightly above average, if anything, his hitting. No, they need him to be MVP level because every single one of those teams that you mentioned, whether it's Tampa Bay, whether it's the Orioles, who's got, you know, they've got a lot of talent, and then we get into the conversations of the Houstons of the world. The Yankees, if they get back into that race, they've got a couple of guys that could change the game if Aaron Judge is healthy. Uh, on that roster. You need your MVP level player to step up in the second half of the season. He's capable. We've seen that. Yeah. Vladdy's capable, but the last two years, you know, expectations are high. But when you have a year like you did two years ago, that kind of becomes the norm. That becomes the reality. It's tough to scale it back once you've hit that level. Uh, so All-Star Game will go tonight. Uh, you'll hear it on Sportsnet 650. And uh, we want to get into... A little bit more of a discussion on Shohei Otani as the show goes on. Uh, 32 homers already this season is going to uh, seemingly walk to another MVP title. Does he end up an angel by the end of the season? Mike Trout's injury really makes it that much more difficult for that team to get to the playoffs. Do the Angels cash in on Shohei Otani, or is he just too valuable an asset from a business perspective? to trade away the best player in baseball and the most watchable athlete maybe in all of sports right now. That's the question going into the second half for baseball. Yeah, and that's really the headline of this All-Star game. With all due respect to the players involved tonight, I know there's a bunch of Blue Jays playing and maybe Jordan Romano gets into the game, but the the buzz is around Shohei Otani of what that contract's going to look like wherever he signs it, whether he's traded. And if you're the Angels, how do you even think about keeping him? Yeah. Like, what's the branding really going to matter if you're losing him for free anyways. Yeah. There's no way. No way you can keep him. Even Paris Saint-Germain right now is trying to say, tell everybody, like, we can't lose the best player in world football for free. <laughs> PSG, a team that really money does not matter to them whatsoever. And yet they are like, no, we can't afford to lose Mbappe for free. How can you as the Angels credibly lose Shohei Otani for nothing? And yet, that's the conversation going into the second half of the baseball season. A couple of hockey things. Uh, we'll start with uh, the one bit of Canucks news. They're, they're trying to give us little uh, niblets, little crumbs of news throughout the week. 
Uh, Canucks announcing a one-year extension with ECHL affiliate in Kalamazoo, the Kalamazoo Wings. Uh, what did I learn? I, well, I learned uh, the Kalamazoo Wings have three players on the roster currently. Yeah, that, that was a trip. Mm-hmm. You go to their website, you look at the roster, and it has three players. <laughs> shouts, <laughs> shouts to these three players because we can actually list them. Yes. Tony Will, Joel oh. Martin, and Cole Schultz. Let's go. I don't, I don't believe One's that. a goalie defenseman, and I'm presuming a center. I'm, I'm not sure I'm making yeah. this up. And none of them are affiliated with the uh, Vancouver Canucks. Uh, they may end up with uh, one of the uh, ginormous goaltenders that we saw last week at development camp with the Vancouver Canucks, Nikita Tolopilo. I, I always say it in a... No, he's not Italian. I know he's not Italian. It's just like my natural way of I reading it. Tolopilo. Tolopilo. Yeah, Tolopilo. Tolopilo. Yeah. Okay. Just imagine you're Finnish, not Italian for a second. <laughs> imagine you're from Helsinki, not Milan or Rome, yes. all right? Uh, okay, so Nikita Tolopilo yeah. is probably going to play with the uh, Kalamazoo Wings, and uh, he'll be able to enjoy the Kalamazoo um, Mall, which I hear is very nice. Yeah, I don't know anything about Kalamazoo other than that Derek Jeter is from there. Oh. Other than that, not much. Okay. But Tolopilo... Yeah. I know you don't take too much out of development camp, but <laughs> how, I mean, how but big he is? <laughs> he looks good. Yeah. And after you know one of the practices, just chatting with him, and he was doing a scrum, like a twelve-minute scrum in English, has no issues, full of personality, cool character as well. So one to watch out for a for his skill, but also just. Uh, seems like a really good kid, too. Uh, so keep an eye on that one. Uh, but that's the uh, only bit of uh, Canucks news for today. Um, other NHL things. This morning, the Montreal Canadiens, uh, Elliot Friedman saying that uh, Alex Newhook has signed a four-year extension with the Montreal Canadiens, $2.9 million on the average annual value. And yesterday, Philip Zadina signed a one-year, $1.1 million deal, show-me contract with the San Jose Sharks. I got to respect Philip Zadina for leaving four and a half million on the table. And he goes to the place that probably could offer him the most opportunity. Maybe, you know, he earns his way onto the top line with Thomas Hurdle. And maybe he earns his way into the top power play unit with Eric Carlson and Thomas Hurdle. So good on Zadina. Hasn't been a great start to his career, but uh, we'll see if he can make it work with the San Jose Sharks. And you start looking at that roster, it's not much skill there, right? Other than the two centers, and Logan Couture is older now as well, 34 years of age. He is uh, far from the player he once was. Yeah, I mean, what do we know about Couture as well? He's good in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. That team ain't going to the playoffs. <laughs> They're not going to be anywhere near the playoffs. Philip Zadina will have an opportunity to pick up points. But remember, bad teams. Yeah. If they don't even the have Eric bad Carlson, affects you, man. If they don't even have Eric Carlson, how's that like? How many goals is that team scoring? Not many. It's gonna be like those uh, <laughs> those Willie D seasons with the Canucks, where like any player was lucky to have fifty points. That's uh, that's what it might look like for the San Jose Sharks. Who's running, who's running the power play there? Like Matt Benning? Yeah. If if Carlson's gone, it's probably my guy Matt Benning. Like, that's going to be the guy that's probably mm. teeing up Zadina for, for shots, right? Yeah. You, you start looking across the board. So, yeah, it, it's good to go there. Bet on yourself. You lose out on some money in Detroit, no question. But be careful. Sometimes going to a bad team, 
you know, bad. Yeah. Even if you're a half decent player, bad teams will drag you down. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. A couple of things in the NBA. Uh, you heard the clip off the top of the show, the Portland Trailblazers, Joe Cronin, their GM, saying at NBA Summer League that he's not planning on moving Lillard right away, which that's cool. Lillard's pulled, you know, the ultimate uh, star player card and is like, not only do I want to get traded, I only want to be traded to the Miami Heat. So figure it out. And after being the most loyal guy in the NBA, he's played the ultimate heel turn has Damian Lillard. But Portland's not giving him what he wants right away. I have no problem with Damian Lillard playing this game. Really? None whatsoever. We're not talking about a sport that is, like, new to this. No. This happens in basketball all the time. Reach, you're a soccer fan. How many times in a transfer window does a player just say, yeah, I'm going to Juventus or Manchester United or Real Madrid, and you can't change my mind? Mm -hmm. It happens all the time. And now Damian Lillard, who was once loyal, <laughs> is no longer loyal. Well, you can't play the loyalty card anymore if you're Dame. I, I just these I, pros ain't loyal. We know this, yeah. all right. We know this. I don't love it, man. Why? You're, because you got, Damian Lillard, you got your agent going around the NBA, being like, "Listen, you trade for for my guy Lillard. He's probably not going to play for you. So don't bother trading for him." You're saying this in the city of Steve Francis. He was drafted by the Grizzlies. We know this. Yes. That's the way the game works. Well, Kessler did the same thing to the Canucks. Sure. Uh, I want to be traded, and I want to be traded to Anaheim. <laughs> That's how it works. Was he not loyal to that franchise for, like, ever, really? Up until the summer? Yeah. CJ McCollum gets traded. All of those players shuffled in and out. Man. And Damian Lillard stays look, there. you want to trade? That's fine. You know, team. You feel like the team hasn't lived up to your standard, hasn't helped you get closer to a title. I don't like the way you're forcing your way to Miami. Player leverage in the NBA and European soccer almost the exact same thing. Almost yeah. the exact same thing. They can do it because they can. The uh, other story out of the NBA: Victor Wembanyama has been shut down for the rest of summer league. Spurs trying to play this off as if it was. Um, always the plan you know he broke out in his second game at i think 27 points and they're just like yeah we don't need to see anymore we're good i personally i think this has something to do more with the the britney spears altercation he just he, he can't bear it can't bear it anymore like can't, can't bear the, the, the media scrutiny that's happened coming out of the britney spears he made incident. it seem like he was just <laughs> like <laughs> he hurt <laughs> britney and therefore can't like you know can't live with it yes his favorite singer no, man, why take the risk? All jokes aside, Victor Wembanyama, not playing anymore in Summer League. And I'm okay with that. They're meaningless. Yeah. It's a glorified beauty league anyways. Like I said yesterday, don't need him. Don't need to see him. He, he rebounded after that first game, yeah. which he admitted that really he had no idea what he was doing out there. Is he like, it feels like the, the hype is so astronomical that if he doesn't win Rookie of the Year, it's, it's almost like it's a disappointment. <laughs> it's a disappointment. Like he's got to be totally rookie of the year, or his opening season in the NBA is is a disappointment. Reach, he's the most hyped prospect ever. Yeah, ever. Yes, even more so than LeBron James, because there was still a question of this kid's coming out of high school for LeBron James. What will he be? Mm -hmm. He answered, Wembanyama has been playing pro ball in France, in Europe, and dominating. He, yeah. Are you taking the field? Or are you taking Wembanyama as far as a, a 
rookie of the year pick, though. I- I'm playing the field. I-, I don't actually take the field. A lot of pressure, man. Yeah, there is a lot of pressure. It's going to be tough on him. We'll see how it goes. Uh, Novak Djokovic playing men's quarterfinal at Wimbledon this morning versus Andre Rubiev. It's a bit of a... <laughs> Look, there's Alcaraz and there's Djokovic. Uh, you still got Medvedev, I believe, uh, in the final eight. That's right. But you know, there's been some upsets. We got Eubanks going into the final eight. It's... Uh, Hasn't been exactly the the stars shining out at Wimbledon this year for uh, either on on the men's or the women's side in the tennis game. So we'll see how uh, Joker plays out in this next week, week two here at Wimbledon. And uh, final thing. What's that? In the CFL. Absolutely nothing. I I don't like, okay. I I don't want to be that guy that hates on the CFL. You're going to be that guy though. But I'm going to be that guy. This has been the biggest problem in the CFL for basically ever. This week, there's no sports going on. You have the entire week wide open to you. The only thing you're going up against is the home run derby and the MLB All-Star game. And you don't have anything on your schedule until Thursday. And it's not like... The CFL only plays Thursday and Friday nights or Saturdays and Sundays. No, they play whatever day they want to during the bloody week. But no, whenever the All-Star game is on and it's the black hole sports week of the summer, there is zero CFL games until Thursday. I think like that's it's a huge problem. I don't know why they haven't fixed it yet. I would love to know why because it is it like, hey, you know, we don't want the spotlight entirely. Like, what business shies away from the spotlight? Like, Which wh- entertainment product? There should be a doubleheader, on, especially on Wednesday night, when there's literally nothing going on. What are you doing on Wednesday night? Even Dan Riccio would talk CFL if given the opportunity tomorrow. Give me Vernon Adams on Wednesday night, you know? Give me something on Wednesday night. But no, there's nothing. All right, we're going to send this angry email to the CFL. I'm sure it'll be answered. Uh, probably, Probably not. Uh, Randy and Brosy, get on it. Uh, all right, Dan uh, we got this. We got te- yeah. this text coming in. You guys will just talk about the Canucks second power play unit all week, anyways. <laughs> well, now we're forced to. <laughs> we were we were looking for alternatives. Okay, uh, it is uh, Dan Riccio and Randy Janda. You are listening to the morning show on Sportsnet six fifty. Morning show, Dan Riccio and Randy Janda with you. How for the Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. Visit your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. So uh, we're going to have Shana Goldman coming up here in uh, just a few moments. You know what I've realized uh, now that um, we've had a couple of Twitter events or you know, sporting events and we have Twitter and threads? To deal with, I I don't have the capacity for both, especially like during an event where you're trying to like you know be part of the social event that hyped, it is. Yeah. You know, like you're you're tweeting as Canada soccer is blowing a win against the U.S. in the Gold Cup, or you're tweeting as Vladdy Guerrero Jr. is hitting bombs at the home run derby. 
I don't have the capacity to do both at the same time. Like well, it's, I got, it's got to be one or the other. I got to tweet or I have to thread. I can't, I can't do both. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Weren't you the guy that had the declaration that, wow, threads is so great. It's the first place I go to when I wake up in yeah, the that morning. Was, that was one morning. <laughs> It's one change change my tune pretty quick. I was gonna say it's one thing to actually feel that way, another to tweet that out. Yes, uh, let's bring it. I threaded it out. Okay, I, I didn't know. tweet it. Is that what we? Say? I don't know. I don't know what we say. You were threading. Uh, Shayna Goldman joins us now from the Athletic. Uh, we'll talk some hockey. Thanks for this, Shayna. Are, are you tweeting more or threading more? Do you have you do you have a preference? I'm still tweeting more, but I, I want to use threads more, but I just, like, I know it needs a little bit of work. Like, it doesn't even have a web application yet, right? Like, you can only use it from your phone. Yeah, it does not have the web application. I I, uh, I feel I'm, like... I'm big on the web application part of it. Yeah, same same here. I can't really get into it without the web application. <laughs> I'm still withholding. I haven't actually set up threads yet. I, I was I was playing the long game here. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't mind setting up for it. I feel like it's not too bad. And I don't think I'm spending too much time on it either. Like, I use it. It's a quick check, unlike Twitter. So I like that aspect of it. we got to find out different things to do on threads than we do on Twitter. But uh, right now, they're they're a little too alike, and I can't figure out how to, like, differentiate between the two. Do I just tweet the same thing as I thread? I don't know. Do I copy and paste it That's between the, the apps? Thing. Yeah, I feel like it's like you need to do the if, – if you tweet out a link to something, right, like a podcast or a story – it's like you want to have them on both because that's the whole idea is to share what you're doing. But it does need like slightly different wording because, you know, I feel like our thread followings are not near our Twitter followings at this point. But it's probably a lot of the same people who are going to be seeing it twice. So I guess like you have to do it very slightly differently. So it's not completely off the rails Two totally different thoughts for the same thing that you're putting out there. But you know, a little bit of variety. Otherwise, everyone will get bored quicker. Like, I don't know. Yeah, it's uh, it's a work in progress. So we'll, we'll figure it out as we go along, I guess. Uh, Shayna Goldman, our guest here on The Morning Show, Dan Richo and Randy Janda. So um, the big news of the week was the uh, the Alex Debrinkat trade. Uh, how did you see this one play out? Is Detroit now set up to be a playoff team moving forward? No, but they're closer than before. I think that... The Red Wings have been really good at using free agency for supporting players, right? We saw them work on their defense last year and their goaltending. And this year, you know, they worked through free agency a bit more to build up their roster that obviously needs the help. But you're only going to get, you know, a certain type of player in free agency, right? Like elite talent doesn't generally make it there. High-end talent generally doesn't. And if they do, the timeline of that player might not line up with the timeline of a team like Detroit. So you kind of have to make those big swings. You have to go for the big trades. And, like, the weapon Detroit had this whole time that a lot of teams don't is they have the cap space. They have all the assets in the world. So it's the right move to get them close to the playoffs. Absolutely. This is a team that's a bottom five team in offense generation last year. And here is a bona fide goal scorer. It's, it's an ideal match. And he's 25, even though, yes, it's a four-year deal. It doesn't mean that's all he can provide is four years of work with the Red Wings, right? Like, there's a lot of elements that I think really clicks for this. But it can't be the last element. This is not – the last move to put them into playoffs, the playoff picture, for sure. They still need to do something else. The right side is they have the pieces to do it. They have the cap space and they have the assets to find another, you know, strong piece just to round out this team a little bit more, maybe a couple more, you know, like middle six and top four defensemen instead of the number one and the top pair, whatever. So they're getting there, for sure. This is a great step. 
but it's not the only one. A part of this discussion is also that Atlantic division. When you start looking at maybe a couple of years ago, we were focusing on the high end, right? Toronto, Tampa Bay, and of course, Boston. Now you've got the the lesser lights in that division raising their game, raising the floor of that division. Um, will they have enough to compete with uh, some of those teams? And, and if you do uh, think they can, who's dropping off in that division? Yeah, that's a good question because you have like the teams on the rise, right? The last year's Atlantic disruptors, everyone focused a lot on Detroit and Ottawa because of their off seasons. And then Buffalo was right there the entire time too. So it's going to be tough to see who can drop off so they can slide in. You know, we know a team like the Panthers, they obviously have some issues with injuries coming up. So maybe that'll work out for them, but like that's, it's asking for a lot. Tampa Bay, we know that they've been constrained by the cap and the roster is suffering, but again, asking them to completely drop out, not just out of, you know, a playoff feed, but a wild card. It's a lot. So I think they really need to take focus on the other rising teams and try to be a, not try to be a wild card team. You should strive for whatever. You should strive for the number one seed. You should strive to be the best team in the league. But realistically, like it feels like they can take a wild card seed from someone else. But I just think they need to push further than someone like Ottawa who they're competing with. You know, my, my criticism for Pierre Dorian wouldn't be uh, about this trade because he has been sort of backed into a corner by Alex Debrinkat and his camp, but it, it it's more that they chose to spend the seventh overall pick on Alex Debrinkat. You know, it was questionable at the time given where Debrinkat was in his contract status and you being the Ottawa Senators, you know, there's always a wonder, will you be able to keep that player? I don't really have a problem with them trading the seventh overall pick either. It's more just you have to do a better job of what you're identifying as a fit for your team when you go about saying that you're making the seventh overall pick available to get a player that's going to help you in the here and now. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Like, it's tough when you think about it in hindsight, too. I think the thing is, at the time of the trade, I think they were right to bet on a player like Dabrinkat. Obviously, it didn't work out the way everyone expected to. And, you know, everything got a little more chaotic with this situation than I think anyone would have anticipated. But, like, at the time of the trade, I think it was it was the right bet because it was what they needed. And we were all sitting here going, look at what the Senators did last summer. Look at that top six they put together. And he was a key part of it. And, you know, they couldn't anticipate not having Josh Norris half the year. And, you know, other things worked into it. But I – I don't have an issue that they even had to trade him, right? They lost leverage as the days went on, obviously, and that's a really tricky thing to balance. And we always see teams want to trade players and not get near the return. Like Jacob Chikrin going to Ottawa was at such a low price relative to what we all expected. And, you know, that tends to happen. I just feel like here, if I'm the Senators, I'm not happy with the return. And I feel like, yes, time was running out because they have that arbitration hearing as like that kind of end date. But it does feel like, you know, it's an underwhelming return, especially when they're moving the player in division, too. Like, this is what's tough. I don't think a team can take out, a you know, a contender for a trade because they're in division. But I think sometimes you see that kind of tax if you want to trade with someone that you're probably going to have to compete with. And like we were talking about before, these are these two upcoming teams together. It's a little bit tougher. Like, I would have imagined them – trying to push for maybe more NHL now pieces or pieces they could easily flip 
to find that NHL now piece to keep pace with something like Detroit, and I don't see that happening here. Yeah, that's a tough, tough deal to make, especially he could score 40 next season, a lot of those in division against the Ottawa Senators. Um, but it, it's a difficult situation for a lot of teams, especially Ottawa and Winnipeg, where you make that shot, you, you make that trade, and it's really the only way you can acquire high-end um, talent because in free agency, you're sometimes, or most times, uh, you know, swinging and, and striking out. Uh, looking at the rest of the offseason thus far, if you had to pick a team who's had the best offseason, um, who would you go with? Devils, hands down. I think the Devils crushed it. I think the fact that they put in most of the work before July 1st is the key part of it because that's not where you build a team. That's not where you build a contender. And I think they were really smart to get the work done before that. They were proactive with Damon Severson and got a piece back you know, an asset back for a player that they knew they weren't extending. I think everyone knew for the last year it wasn't happening, especially once they acquired John Marino, and they still managed to get something back. The Tyler Foley deal was so ideal for them. They trade Yegor Sharangovich, who they wanted to trade anyway, right? Like, this is the player that was on the trade block, and that's who they gave up to bring in someone that fit their needs so perfectly, a really good top-nine winger with finishing talent, exactly what they're missing. And then, you know, you do the Jesper Bratt contract, still very reasonable even after that last year's you know one-year deal that could have made this contract more expensive Timo Meyer deal way under his market value it's all the moves that they need to be making and then they're going to bet on some entry-level talent to kind of balance out some things maybe they had another depth piece or two and you know there's still some questions of what they're going to do in goal but I don't think it's a team that has to go big and go for the Connor Helen bucks of the world with the, you know, style of play. I think they can go for the 1Bs, the Logan Thompsons, if they want. So I think they really set themselves up for success. It, it is interesting because we see Vegas and, you know, they, they win with their fourth or fifth string, uh, Aiden Hill, between the pipes. And now we get into this offseason and New Jersey, you know, they've beefed up their team but haven't really looked at upgrading in goal just yet. And even L.A., they go out and get, they get uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois and looks like they're heading into the season with Cam Talbot and Phoenix Copley as their, their tandem in between the pipes. So just how much are we seeing goaltending or how much, yeah, how much are we seeing goaltending be devalued around the league? Yeah, we definitely are. It's always interesting to see what lessons teams do or don't take from the Stanley Cup winners, right? Like, there's always a couple lessons there, but it's how can you actually apply it to yourself. For Vegas, they show that you don't need elite goaltending to thrive in the playoffs. The Colorado Avalanche showed that a year ago too, but the key is, of how, is how they built their team in front of that. They're so good offensively. They you know dominate play that they can manage that. They have a really good blue line that can really like shut down play and quickly transition back to offense to keep their goaltenders' workloads really easy. A team like the Devils can swing that. That we show we saw that last year, right? You know, this past year, sorry, that they could get a more average goaltending. Not everyone can. Not everyone's built for that. Some teams like the New York Rangers of the world need that elite goaltending to take them to the next level. They're missing that, you know, firepower to kind of balance it out. And they've missed some of that defensive strength at times too. So I think it's all about finding the right balance for your team. You need, I would say, at least two of the three elements, but you should strive for all three of having, you know, an elite offense, an elite defense, or elite goaltending. So some teams should be taking notes from Vegas, like the Devils. But some teams absolutely positively cannot. They cannot think, we don't need high-end goaltending. You still do. You know, a team like the Buffalo Sabres right now, they give up so many shots and scoring chances. And unless they tighten that up and 
there's a lot of work to do there, you're going to need a really high-end goalie to support you. So you, you have to just know how to apply the lesson from, from Vegas to each team because it's not a one-size-fits-all for, you know, contender building here. Yeah, and I think uh, the the Canucks are probably still in in that uh, that frame of mind too. They need Thatcher Demko in order to have success. They've beefed up defensively this off season with uh, Ian Cole and, and Carson Soucy and even Teddy Bluger, who's like they should all help the penalty kill and they should all help this team suppress chances against more often than they have in recent years. But I I, I wonder. It, if I am going to raise uh, any sort of yellow flag right now on on the Canucks offseason, Shayna, it's that while they've spent so much time trying to increase their chances of goal prevention, I think they've kind of not realized, well, they're still just a middle-of-the-pack team when it comes to chance generation and actually goal creation at five-on-five. Five. Are the Canucks uh, – am I already thinking too far ahead that the Canucks may struggle to no. score this season? No, you're right to think about it. The Canucks had a very good offseason for what they need on one side of the spectrum. For a team that's more advanced than the Canucks, this would be like a very good, very low-key offseason, right? We'd be like, well, those are good supporting pieces. Teddy Bluger, good penalty killer, good, you know, versatile bottom six forward to have, really good defensively. Carson Susie, I think, is a great addition. I think the contracts they handed out are so different from what we've come to expect from this team, too. You know, they're, they're not super long. They're not super expensive. They nailed it, you know, from the let's fix our depth issues perspective. But I still look at the rest of the roster. I'm like, you're not good enough to only be focusing on that, you know. But the challenge is what can you do in free agency when, especially this year's class wasn't as, you know, exciting as others. You can't, you know, fully build your team through that. And they need a little bit more than just tweaks here and there, I think, to fix their offensive picture. They need help down the middle in that top six, unless J.T. Miller's going to stay at center. You're probably not finding that free agency. Like, we saw teams trading for Ryan Johansson and Kevin Hayes for a reason and, and taking on those big contracts because there wasn't that great of help down the middle in free agency. So the Canucks can't be done here. They can be done with free agency. No problem. But they can't be done, period, I think. They have to figure out a way to score goals because in this league, you can try to prevent goals as much as possible, but the best defense is the strong offense. We know that in today's game. You know, this is in 2012 and 2014 when the Kings were thriving. We saw that defensive style or the Bruins of 2011. And even if we talk about those teams that we all think for their defense, we can't forget the fact that they were all really excellent offensively when they needed to be. So, you know, the Canucks aren't there yet to have that mentality. They still have to start picking it up and add another high-end piece. Before we let you go, Shana, are you just uh, all in on Wimbledon uh, now that uh, the hockey offseason is uh, sort of calmed down? Oh, absolutely. I, I'm in on every Grand Slam tournament. I don't care what's going on in the hockey world. I don't <laughs> care if I have to stay up all night or get up first thing in the morning and make myself totally crazy like during the playoffs, you know, these late nights and then starting up, you know, early for the French Open. I, I do it. I, I don't care. I do it for the majors. I, I do it for the Masters tournaments. I'm watching the 500s. I watch it all. This is that's my fun. It's not work. It's not anything. I am all in. Love to hear it. Uh, thanks for this, Shana. We'll talk soon. Thanks for having me. Uh, there is uh, Shana Goldman. Uh, always bringing the, some great insight on uh, what's going on in the hockey world with the Canucks there as well, and uh, big in on Wimbledon. As am I. Yeah, I, I'm a big tennis guy. I know you're not. Mm. Not so much. Your boy uh, Berrettini lost yesterday, by the way. Berrettini. Sure. Yannick Sinner is playing today. You can't really 
You can't really italicize that one, can you? No, I was looking at that, and I was like, man, what's going on here? <laughs> Yannick? Great name, but... Hey, he stumped you with his name. Yeah. But my, my dad is actually Yannick like... Sinner. What Shana was describing, getting up at all hours. Like, she's on the East Coast. Yeah. I think it's kinder to her. Mm-hmm. My dad will get up at like 2 a.m. to watch Australian Open tennis. Isn't that what you with like qualies in, uh, in F1? This guy's no, he's waking more, up at all hours of the day to watch more, uh, qualification. He's more devoted than I am. I'll, oh, yeah. I'll you know, occasionally like, you know, PVR it or whatever. Mm-hmm. I'll watch it on delay. Avoid social media. Pops is getting up at 2 a.m. to watch to watch the the Aussie Open. So Shayna brought up a an interesting point there. You know, the Canucks focused a lot on their penalty kill and fixing some of those areas in free agency because that's what was available to them. It also didn't cost them a ton, certainly from a, you know, cap perspective it didn't cost them a ton compared to some of the moves they made in recent years some of the moves that the previous regime had made to try and fix some of these same areas but they can't be done if they want to credibly improve their team enough to really be a playoff contender there's got to be more to this picture and that's really difficult to see how that plays out because as we've talked about so often Randy There's just no cap space for them to make any moves. No, you've got to be extremely creative here. And we talked about the LTIR situation. We'll see how that plays out. That obviously gives you a little bit more room to work with. But that being said, not much, right? You look at the cap situation, you're going to have to move out salary to accommodate another, take your pick, third or fourth line center, right? If if Teddy Bluger is your guy at 3C, you still probably need somebody to slot in there or provide a little bit of competition for Niels Oman. I like Niels Oman's game, and I think there was some real chemistry there with Dakota Joshua, but they do need offense from their bottom six, and those two centermen are not going to give you much. You need a little oomph there, and if you're looking at adding at any position right now, that's the one, whether it's Pew Suter, whether it's, you know, look across the board. I know Sunquist was the name that Faber mentioned yesterday. Sure, he gives you a... A little bit, maybe, but not much. It's too much like uh, Teddy Bluger. Like he's all—he's more defense than he is skilled. They need two things. They need offense, which is priority, but they also need some depth at the center position. Yeah, you need a a utility player that can pop out to the wing. So yes, they need offense. I agree, but they just need another capable center in the system. So whether that is a maybe a carbon copy of Bluger, um, I prefer Suter in this case because he does offer something a little different. But you still need another body there at the center position, and that's not a knock on Sheldon Dries, because I know we're going to get texts saying, hey, Dries can play that position. I I don't know if you're looking for offense, you're looking for a step up. Sheldon Dries is probably not the answer. Uh, Suri Ryan with this uh, comment on uh, goaltending being devalued across the league. Goalies are too bipolar when it comes to their play from season to season. Teams need to figure out, don't shell out big bucks to the goaltender position. Focus on the defense and average goaltending can win cups. See Corey Crawford. Now, while I don't disagree with your sentiment, Ryan, I think Corey Crawford is uh, – you are devaluing Corey Crawford by saying he was just an average goaltender. Corey Crawford in his prime was pretty damn good. Like You look back at the numbers – he was a really good goalie. I it, was, it was a lot better than Antti Niemi, who won sure. the first cup for Chicago. I even saw some Corey Crawford Hall of Fame conversation. Whether you agree or not, like 
People were bringing him up as a, yeah. an outside shot. Corey Crawford's more like modern-day Chris Osgood than he is anything else. Like, yeah. had some really great years, won a couple cups, but I wouldn't necessarily call him, like, one of the all-time greats. No, no. He's just – he was well above average. Yeah, and I wouldn't put him in the Hall of Fame, but the point is, he was a good goaltender. In How many Chicago I, fans are you talking to that, that, that want I to was, put Corey Crawford in? Well, we're walking some, Corey Crawford into the Hall of Fame? Some dudes writing articles, okay. our peers – Threw him up in his, threw him up in honorable mention conversations, which I don't agree with. I'm just saying, Anti Niemi is the one I can. Is get. the Hockey Hall of Fame going to put players into the uh, the hall anytime soon, or is it just no. going to be goalies for the next number of years? It was based on the Mike Vernon and uh, all those other inclusions <laughs> that it's apparently all goalies at this point in time. But you know, Mike Vernon, we haven't had this chance for the last 20 years, so now we're going to do it. What? It was the Bobby Lou. Uh, Bobby Lou went in, and they're like, "All right, open the floodgates." Even Rogi Vashan went in. It was like. Now we're putting Rogie in? After all these years, you're just like, oh, we forgot about this guy. <laughs> the, the, and Tom that, Barrasso, too. Like, does that mean there's more uh, like goalies on the selection committee? Yeah. There's got to be something. Like, who's who's on the selection committee now? Is there a couple more goalies? Might, uh, might, might, uh, might be something like that. Um, lots of texts coming in. Keep those coming. 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. We'll get to as many texts as we can as the course of the show goes on. Plus, coming up next, local boy with the Winnipeg Jets, Brendan Dillon, is going to join us in hour two of the program. Plus, we're going to keep Puck Doku going. So that's coming up in hour two as well. You are listening to The Morning Show with Dan Richo and Randeep Janda on Sportsnet 650.